Good evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. I'm Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories just for you. Links to all the stories can be found at the show notes at bedtimewithbvj.com. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a buy me a coffee link on every page and post. Tonight, we continue our story, The Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum. In the castle, everyone was in a deep sleep. Been late in the evening before the Viking's wife retired to rest. She was anxious about Helga, who, three days before, had vanished with the Christian priest. Helga must have helped him in his flight, for it was her horse that was missing from the stable. But by what Power had all this been accomplished. The Viking's wife thought of it with wonder, thought on the miracles which they said could be performed by those who believed in this faith, and followed its teachings. These passing thoughts formed themselves into a vivid dream, and it seemed to her that she was still lying awake on her couch, while without darkness reigned. A storm arose. She heard the lake dashing and rolling from east and west, like the waves of the North Sea or the Cattegat. The monstrous snake which, it is said, surrounds the earth in the depths of the ocean was trembling in spasmodic convulsions. The night of the fall of the gods was come, Ragnarok, as the heathens call the judgment day, when everything shall pass away, even the high ones themselves. The war trumpet sounded. Riding upon the rainbow came the gods clad in steel to fight their last battle on the last battlefield. Before them flew the winged vampires, and the dead warriors closed up the train. The whole firmament was ablaze with the northern lights, and yet the darkness triumphed. It's a terrible hour. And, close to the terrified woman, Helga seemed to be seated on the floor in the hideous form of a frog, yet trembling and clinging to her foster mother, who took her on her lap and lovingly caressed her, hideous and frog-like as she was. The air was filled with the clashing of arms and the hissing of arrows, as if a storm of hail was descending upon the earth. It seemed to her the hour when earth and sky would burst asunder and all things be swallowed up, Saturn's fiery lake. But she knew that a new heaven and earth would arise and that cornfields would wave where now the lake rolled over desolate sands. Then she saw rising from the region of the dead, Balder the Gentle, the loving, and as the Viking's wife gazed upon him, she recognized his countenance. It was the captive priest. White Christian, she claimed aloud, and with the words she pressed a kiss on the forehead of the hideous frog child. Then the frog skin fell off, and Helga stood before her in all her beauty, more lovely and more gentle-looking, and with eyes beaming with love. She kissed the hands of her foster mother, blessed her for all her fostering love and care during the days of her trial and misery, for the thoughts she had suggested and awoke in her heart, and for naming the name which she now repeated. Then beautiful Helga rose as a mighty swan, and spread her wings with the rushing sound of troops of birds of passage flying through the air. Then the Viking's wife awoke, but she still heard the rushing sound without. 
She knew it was time for the storks to depart and that it must be their wings which she heard. She felt she should like to see them once more and bid them farewell. She rose from her couch, stepped out on the threshold, and beheld on the ridge of the roof a party of storks ranged side by side. Troops of the birds were flying in circles over the castle and the highest trees. But just before her, as she stood on the threshold and close to the well where Helga had so often sat and alarmed her with her wildness, now stood two swans, gazing at her with intelligent eyes. Then she remembered her dream, which still appeared to her as a reality. She thought of Helga in the form of a swan. She thought of a Christian priest, and suddenly a wonderful joy arose in her heart. The swans flapped their wings and arched their necks as if to offer her a greeting, and the Viking's wife spread out her arms towards them as if she accepted it and smiled through her tears. She was roused from a deep thought by a rustling of wings and snapping of beaks. All the storks arose and started on their journey towards the south. We will not wait for the swans, said the mama stork. If they want to go with us, let them come now. We can't sit here till the plover start. It is a fine thing, after all, to travel in families, not like the finches and the partridges. There, the male and the female birds fly in separate flocks, which, to speak candidly, I consider very unbecoming. What are those swans flapping their wings for? Well, everyone flies in his own fashion, said the papa stork. The swans fly in an oblique line, the cranes in the form of a triangle, and the plovers in a curved line like a snake. Don't talk about snakes while we are flying up here, said Stork Mama. It puts ideas into the children's heads that cannot be realized. Are those the high mountains I have heard spoken of, asked Helga in the swan's plumage. They are storm clouds driving along beneath us, replied her mother. What are yonder white clouds that rise so high? Again inquired Helga. Those are mountains covered with perpetual snow. That you see yonder, said her mother. And then they flew across the Alps towards the blue Mediterranean. Africa's land, Africa's land, Egyptia's strand, sang the daughter of the Nile in her swan's plumage, as from the upper air she caught sight of the native land, a narrow, golden, wavy strip on the shores of the Nile. The other birds espied it also and hastened their flight. I can smell the Nile mud and the wet frogs, said the stork mama. And I began to feel quite hungry. Yes, now you shall taste something nice. And you will see the marabout bird and the ibis and the crane. They all belong to our family, but they are not nearly as handsome as we are. They give themselves great airs, especially the ibis. The Egyptians have spoiled him. They make a mummy of him and stuff him with spices. I would rather be stuffed with live frogs. And so would you, and so you shall. Better have something in your inside while you are alive than to be made a parade of after you are dead. That is my opinion, and I am always right. The storks are come, was said, in the great house on the banks of the Nile, where the Lord lay in the hall on his downy cushions, covered with a leopard skin, scarcely alive, yet not dead, 
waiting and hoping for the lotus flower from the deep moorland in the far north. Relatives and servants were standing by his couch when the two beautiful swans who had come with the storks flew into the hall. They threw off their soft white plumage, and two lovely female forms approached the pale, sick old man and threw back their long hair, and when Helga bent over her grandfather, redness came back to his cheeks, his eyes brightened, and life returned to his benumbed limbs. The old man rose up with health and energy renewed. Daughter and grandchild welcomed him as joyfully as if with a morning greeting after a long and troubled dream. Joy reigned through the whole house as well as in the stork's nest, although there the chief cause was really the good food, especially the quantities of frogs, which seemed to spring out of the ground in swarms. Then the learned men hastened to note down, in flying characters, the story of the two princesses, and spoke of the arrival of the health-giving flower as a mighty event, which had been a blessing to the house and the land. Meanwhile, the stork papa told the story to his family in his own way, but not till they had eaten and were satisfied. Otherwise, they would have had something else to do than to listen to stories. Well, said the stork mama when she had heard it, you will be made something of at last. I suppose they can do nothing less. What could I be made, said stork papa? What have I done? Just nothing. You have done more than all the rest, she replied. But for you and the youngsters, the two young princesses would never have seen Egypt again, and the recovery of the old man would not have been affected. You will become something. They must certainly give you a doctor's hood, and our young ones will inherit it, and their children after them, and so on. You already look like an Egyptian doctor, at least in my eyes. I cannot quite remember the words I heard when I listened on the roof, said Stork Papa, while relating the story to his family. All I know is that what the wise man said was so complicated and so learned that they received not only rank, but presence. Even the head cook at the great house was honored with a mark of distinction, most likely for the soup. And what did you receive, said the stork mama? They certainly ought not to forget the most important person in the affair, as you really are. The learned men have done nothing at all but use their tongues. Surely they will not overlook you. Late in the night, while the gentle sleep of peace rested on the now happy house, there was still one watcher. It was not Stork Papa, who, although he stood on guard on one leg, could sleep soundly. Helga alone was awake. She leaned over the balcony, gazing at the sparkling stars that shone clearer and brighter in the pure air than they had done in the north, and yet they were the same stars. She thought of the Viking's wife in the old moorland, of the gentle eyes of her foster mother, and of the tears she had shed over the poor frog-child that now lived in splendor and starry beauty by the waters of the Nile, with air balmy and sweet as spring. She thought of the love that dwelt in the breast of the heathen woman, love that had been shown to a wretched creature, hateful as a human being, 
and hideous when in the form of an animal. She looked at the glimmering stars and thought of the radiance that had shone forth on the forehead of the dead man as she had fled with him over the woodland and more. Tones were awakened in her memory, words which she had heard him speak as they rode onward. When she was carried, wondering and trembling, through the air, words from the great fountain of love, the highest love that embraces all the human race. What had not been won and achieved by this love? Day and night, beautiful Helga was absorbed in the contemplation of the great amount of her happiness and lost herself in the contemplation, like a child who turns hurriedly from the giver to examine the beautiful gifts. was overpowered with her good fortune, which seemed always increasing, and therefore what might it become in the future? Had she not been brought by a wonderful miracle to all this joy and happiness? And in these thoughts she indulged, until at last she thought no more of the giver. It was the overabundance of youthful spirits unfolding its wings for a daring flight. Her eyes sparkled with energy when suddenly arose a loud noise in the court below, and the daring thought vanished. She looked down and saw two large ostriches running around quickly in narrow circles. She had never seen these creatures before. Great, coarse, clumsy-looking birds with curious wings that looked as if they had been clipped, and the birds themselves had the appearance of having been roughly used. She inquired about them and, for the first time, heard the legend which the Egyptians relate respecting the ostrich. Once, they say, the ostriches were a beautiful and glorious race of birds with large, strong wings. One evening, the other birds of the forest said to the ostrich, Brother, shall we fly to the river tomorrow morning to drink, God willing? And the ostrich answered, I will. With the break of day, therefore, they commenced their flight, first rising high in the air towards the sun. Still higher and higher, the ostrich flew far above the other birds, proudly approaching the light, trusting in its own strength, and thinking not of the giver or saying, If God will. When suddenly the avenging angel drew back the veil from the flaming ocean of sunlight, and in a moment the wings of the proud bird were scorched and shriveled, and they sunk miserably to the earth. Since that time, the ostrich and his race have never been able to rise in the air. They can only fly terror-stricken along the ground, or run round and round in narrow circles. It is a warning to mankind that in all our thoughts and schemes, and in every action we undertake, we should say, if God will. Then Helga bowed her head thoughtfully and seriously and looked at the circling ostrich. As with timid fear and simple pleasure, it glanced at its own great shadow on the sunlit walls. And the story of the ostrich sunk deeply into the heart and mind of Helga. A life of happiness, both in the present and in the future, seemed secure for her. And what was yet to come might be the best of all, God willing. Early in the spring, when the storks were again about to journey northward, beautiful Helga took off her golden bracelets, scratched her name on them, and beckoned to the stork father. He came to her, and she placed a golden circlet around his neck, and begged him to deliver it safely to the Viking's wife. 
so that she might know that her foster daughter still lived, was happy, and had not forgotten her. It is rather heavy to carry, thought Stark Papa when he had it on his neck, but gold and honor are not to be flung into the street. The stork brings good fortune. They'll be obliged to acknowledge that at last. You lay gold, and I lay eggs, said Stork Mama. With you it is only once in a way. I lay eggs every year. But no one appreciates what we do. I call it very mortifying. But then we have a consciousness of our own worth, Mother, replied Stork Papa. What good will that do you, retorted Stork Mama. It will neither bring you a fair wind nor a good meal. The little nightingale who is singing yonder in the tamarind grove will soon be going north too. Helga said she had often heard her singing on the wild moor. So she determined to send a message by her. While flying in the swan's plumage, she had learnt the bird language. She had often conversed with the stork and the swallow, and she knew that the nightingale would understand. So she begged the nightingale to fly to the beechwood on the peninsula of Jutland, where a mound of stone and twigs had been raised to form the grave. And she begged the nightingale to persuade all the other little birds to build their nests round the place, so that evermore should resound over that grave music and song. And the nightingale flew away, and time flew away also. In the autumn, an eagle, standing upon a pyramid, saw a stately train of richly laden camels, and men attired in armor on foaming Arabian steeds, whose glossy skins shone like silver. Their nostrils were pink, and their thick, flowing manes hung almost to their slender legs. A royal prince of Arabia, handsome as a prince should be, and accompanied by distinguished guests, was on his way to the stately house, on the roof of which the stork's empty nests could be seen. They were away now in the far north, but expected to return very soon. And indeed, they returned on a day that was rich in joy and gladness. A marriage was being celebrated, in which the beautiful Helga, glittering in silk and jewels, was the bride, and the bridegroom the young Arab prince. Bride and bridegroom sat at the upper end of the table, between the bride's mother and grandfather, but her gaze was not on the bridegroom with his manly, sunburnt face, round which curled a black beard and whose dark, fiery eyes were fixed upon her, but away from him at a twinkling star that shone down upon her from the sky. Then there was heard the sound of rushing wings beating the air. The storks were coming home, and the old stork pair, although tired with the journey and requiring rest, did not fail to fly down at once to the balustrades of the veranda, for they knew already what feast was being celebrated. They had heard of it on the borders of the land, and also that Helga had caused their figures to be represented on the walls, for they belonged to her history. I call that very sensible and pretty, said Stork Papa. Yes, but it is very little, said Mama Stork. They could not possibly have done less. But when Helga saw them, she rose and went out into the veranda to stroke the backs of the storks. The old stork pair bowed their heads and curved their necks, 
and even the youngest among the young ones felt honored by this perception. Helga continued to gaze upon the glittering star, which seemed to glow brighter and purer in its light. Then between herself and the star floated a form purer than the air and visible through it. It floated quite near to her, and she saw that it was the dead Christian priest, who was also coming to her wedding feast, coming from the heavenly kingdom. The glory and brightness yonder outshines all that is known on earth, said he. Then Helga the fair prayed more gently and more earnestly than she had ever prayed in her life before, that she might be permitted to gaze, if only for a single moment, at the glory and the brightness of the heavenly kingdom. Then she felt herself lifted up, as it were, above the earth, through a sea of sound and thought. Not only around her, but within her, was there light and song such as words cannot express. Now we must return, he said. Be missed. Only one more look, she begged, but one short moment more. We must return to earth. The guests will have all departed. Only one more look. The last. Then Helga stood again in the veranda. But the marriage lamps in the festive hall had been all extinguished, and the torches outside had vanished. The storks were gone. Not a guest could be seen. No bridegroom, all in those few short moments, seemed to have died. Then a great dread fell upon her. She stepped from the veranda through the empty hall into the next chamber, where slept strange warriors. She opened a side door, which once led into her own apartment, but now, as she passed through, she found herself suddenly in a garden which she had never before seen here. The sky blushed red. It was the dawn of morning. Three minutes only in heaven, and a whole night on earth had passed away. Then she saw the storks and called them in their own language. Then Stork Papa turned his head towards her, listened to her words, and drew near. You speak our language, said he. What do you wish? Why do you appear, you, a strange woman? It is I. It is Helga. Dost thou not know me? Three minutes ago we were speaking together yonder in the veranda. That is a mistake, said the stork. You must have dreamed all this. No, no, she exclaimed. Then she reminded him of the Viking's castle, of the great lake, and of the journey across the ocean. Then Stork Papa winked his eyes and said, Why, that's an old story which happened in the time of my grandfather. There certainly was a princess of that kind here in Egypt once, who came from the Danish land. But she vanished on the evening of her wedding day many hundred years ago and never came back. You may read about it yourself yonder on a monument in the garden. There you will find swans and storks sculptured, and on the top is a figure of the princess Helga in marble. And so it was. Helga understood it all now and sank on her knees. The sun burst forth in all its glory, and, as in olden times, the form of the frog vanished in his beams, and a beautiful form stood forth in all its loveliness. So now, bathed in light, rose a beautiful form, pure, clearer than air, 
a ray of brightness from the source of light himself. The body crumbled into dust, and a faded lotus flower lay on the spot on which Helga had stood. Now that it is a new ending to the story, said Stork Papa, I never really expected it would end in this way, but it seems a very good ending. And what will the young ones say to it, I wonder, said Stork Mama. Ah, that is a very important question, replied the stork. We are always on the hunt for great stories like these to feature on the show. You can send your suggestions to bigvoicej at gmail.com. Got a YouTube channel full of stories from the show. Go to tiny.cc slash bbjbedtime. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me a Coffee link on every page and post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs)